It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. The U.S. Coast Guard is searching for four missing people who were last seen boating near Sitka on Sunday afternoon. According to a press release, on Sunday evening, Kingfisher Charters reported an overdue charter vessel with five people on board. The boat had last been seen underway near Cape Edgecombe in Sitka Sound. It was found shortly after 7 p.m. on Sunday evening partially submerged near Low Island, about one mile east of Shoals Point on the southern tip of Cruzoff Island. The Coast Guard recovered one deceased person from the wreckage. As of press time on Monday afternoon, the search for the four missing individuals was ongoing with several Coast Guard crews, the Sitka Fire Department, and Good Samaritan vessels aiding in the rescue efforts. The United States Department of Justice will appeal a federal court order forcing the closure of the commercial king salmon troll fishery in southeast Alaska. In early May, Washington U.S. District Court Judge Richard Jones upheld an earlier recommendation that, in violation of the Endangered Species Act, the southeast summer and winter king fisheries were catching too much of the food source of a dwindling population of southern resident killer whales in Puget Sound. Judge Jones's order required the fishery closures and required the National Marine Fisheries Service to vacate and rewrite the rules that allow for the fisheries to happen. The DOJ's notice to appeal was submitted on May 23rd on behalf of the Department of Commerce and the National Marine Fisheries Service. The defendant interveners in the case, the Alaska Trollers Association and the State of Alaska, filed motions earlier this month calling for a partial stay of the order, pending an appeal to allow the fisheries to proceed. The state argued that the court order had failed to account for the economic, cultural, and social harm to the troll fleet and southeast Alaska. The lawsuit was originally filed by the Wild Fish Conservancy to protect an endangered population of southern resident killer whales in Puget Sound. The Washington-based nonprofit also appealed and asked for an injunction vacating a prey increase program intended to mitigate the effects of the southeast troll harvest by rearing king salmon in hatcheries. They argued that the hatchery program doesn't go far enough to mitigate the risks to both wild king salmon and killer whales. On May 26th, both requests for stays from the state and the Wild Fish Conservancy were denied. In response to the ruling late Friday, the state of Alaska filed an appeal to the Ninth Circuit Court, requesting the court issue a decision by June 23rd. KCAW's Ezra Dan spoke with a local scallop fisherman who is bringing the delicacy to dinner tables in Sitka and Southeast with sustainability in mind. On days when diver Evan O'Brien isn't diving for pink swimming scallops or harvesting gooseneck barnacles off steep rock faces at low tide, you can find him in a slip at Thompson Harbor, working on the new diving boat he purchased from Oxnard, California earlier this year. The FV Sinbad was purchased by O'Brien for his company Merrick Shellfish from a sea urchin diver, so the boat is equipped with everything he needs for a dive. These are swimming scallops, so you'll swim up to a boulder or something that's covered with them, and in the winter like this, maybe, I don't know, 10 to 20% of them will take off, start swimming, and I just leave those, and I harvest the ones that stay because they're, they're kind of dormant, and they're, they're sort of hibernating, so they're easier to harvest. But they aren't so sleepy in the summertime. As there's more light and the water's starting to warm up a little bit, you'll swim up to that same boulder that's covered, and maybe 80% of them will take off, and then you're just you know, trying to pick them out of the air. It's like you're trying to catch butterflies or something with a net. Um, And that gets much harder. O'Brien isn't new to this type of work. 
Before diving for scallops, he spent a few seasons diving for sea cucumbers and gooey ducks, another bivalve shellfish industry that thrives in southeast Alaska. Choosing a switch to Pacific swimming scallops wasn't easy for O'Brien and his company. That's because gathering the data necessary to open the fishery is a heavy load. The long-established gooey duck fishery has an inexpensive method of collecting water samples to test biotoxin levels. The Southeast Alaska Regional Dive Fisheries Association buys one boat to collect all biotoxin water samples for gooey duck harvesting. Merrick shellfish doesn't have the same luxury. As a pilot fishery for the scallops and gooseneck barnacles he harvests, O'Brien has to ensure sustainability by collecting a year's worth of data and sending harvest quota amounts to the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation when he finds a new harvest area. The way it works is I get these different areas open with the DEC, which, like I said, is a slow process. It takes at least a year to get a new area open, um, and they're relatively small areas. I mean, we're not we're talking about like a single inlet kind of thing. Then I request a specific amount of quota from, so say, a 1,000 pounds from this particular inlet. And Fishing Game will look at that request, and if they think it's reasonable, they'll approve that amount of quota. Once he harvests the 1,000 pounds, he's done for that area. My goal is to keep expanding, uh, getting new areas open with the DEC. and I'm, So I'm looking at areas that aren't even open for harvest right now to get a sense of the abundance. And then I have to send in a year's worth of water samples and then a bunch of biotoxin samples and then that area will open. O'Brien's plan is to get enough of these areas open for harvest so he can manage the fishery like gooey duck and sea cucumber dive operations, where each area is rotated on a three-year break between harvests. However, government fishery regulations haven't been the only obstacle O'Brien has faced. When selling to local grocery stores and restaurants during his first year of operation, O'Brien got complaints about how dirty the shellfish were. So O'Brien built his own special washer. It's basically a garbage can full of brushes aided by a flowing water hose, and after the scallops tumble through as he rotates it, they're clean. The washer is also equipped with two-inch holes so scallops smaller than regulation size can escape. And it works. He's able to deliver his product to local businesses with less grit and grime, though the extra step also means extra time. And it's another barrier to you know, the real kind of high volume fishery where you would just harvest thousands of pounds, deliver them to a tender. Um, that's not what this product is. I mean, O'Brien's season starts with scallop diving in the midwinter months and is now harvesting gooseneck barnacles to sell. Although O'Brien sometimes has his younger brother assist as a deckhand, Merrick shellfish is largely a one-man business. But that's okay with him. He says his goal for the fisheries has always been high value, low volume, to have a lower impact on the environment and stocks, while also introducing people to new and unusual seafoods. That's great to just see, even in you know relatively small quantities, see those products in the community and, and people in town enjoying them. Uh, because it's something that probably a lot of people have seen if they're if they get the chance to be out on the water and have seen it and maybe noticed it but never considered eating it, um, particularly the gooseneck barnacles because they're so weird looking. Gooseneck barnacles are a delicacy in Spain and Portugal, and many compare the taste to crab or shrimp. If you can get past the scaly appearance similar to a dragon's toenails, they're a real treat for seafood lovers. To eat them, Diners must pinch the foot between thumb and forefinger, pull the meat out of its case, remove their claw, and enjoy. 
Reporting in Sitka, I'm Ezra Dan. The Alaska Legislature's budget includes a one-time school funding boost of $175 million. But school district leaders and many legislators were hoping for something a little more permanent, a big increase to the per-student funding schools get from the state every year. And as KTOO's Katie Anastas reports, they say one-time funding won't resolve ongoing budget problems. Jared Bryant is the superintendent of the Anchorage School District. He says his district may put their share of the one-time funding into savings in anticipation of a deficit in 2025. Until we make structural reform to school funding, we'll always be in these conversations where we're talking about deficits and budget cuts and pink slips and layoffs. Juneau School District officials agree that the lack of a permanent funding increase makes it hard to plan ahead. Cassie Olin, director of administrative services, says... The district likely won't put the money to new recurring costs, like hiring teachers. Instead, they might spend it on online classroom materials or maintenance projects. We like to try to focus on um, non-personnel expenses in the additional funding, something that we don't necessarily have to have in the following years, because you don't want to put you know, $5 million of positions into the district's budget and then turn around next year, and if nothing happens, then... Those $5 million worth of positions now have to be laid off. Without a permanent funding increase, districts may have to resolve deficits in other ways, like closing schools, making class sizes bigger, and reducing bus service. Those are the kinds of budget decisions legislators cited when pushing for a permanent increase in school funding this session. Anchorage Democratic Senator Lukey Tobin chaired the Senate Education Committee. She advocated for the Senate version of a bill to increase the base student allocation by $680. I think we, in Senate Education and again in Senate Finance, were able to really articulate why an increase under the BSA was the best, most equitable and fair way to support our education system. Instead, it will only go up by $30, an increase Governor Mike Dunleavy approved last year. Tobin says, Barring a significant increase to the base student allocation, a one-time funding boost was the next best option. She called it a safety valve to hold schools over until the legislature can resume talks about a permanent increase next year. Tobin says she's feeling optimistic that Dunleavy will approve the one-time boost. I know that he is an advocate for our schools. I know that he recognizes the value of a good quality public education, and I'm hopeful that He sees this balanced budget and uses his veto pen very little. As they wait to find out, school boards and district administrators around the state will meet in the coming weeks to discuss next steps. With help from Tim Rocky in Anchorage and Katie Anastas in Juneau. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News.